Welcome back to a new episode of Sustainably Influenced with me, Bianca Foley. And me, Charlotte Williams. This season is all about the people behind the product. In a society where everything has become so disposable and waste is one of the biggest problems affecting our planet, we wanted to go back to a time where what you owned was treasured. Come with us on a journey this season where we chat with experts who are taking us back to a time where craftsmanship and ethical consumption were key, but making it suitable for today's modern society. Welcome back to another episode of Sustainably Influenced. In my head, I was going to go, Sustainably Influenced Sustainability School. Oh, that's the, that's <laughs> I know. I know that's the end, but my, in my head, I hear it and I'm like, <laughs> So today we are going to be talking about, okay, so the line for this is tailors and seamstresses. But we are going to be talking about basically the concept of making and repairing your clothes. Okay. Because um, there's a few job titles. As I was doing my research, yeah. there's a few job titles that I was like, oh, hold on. So I just want to go through them with you just to okay. check that we're all on the same page of what we know I that they mean. That. So first of all, we have a tailor. Mm-hmm. And then we have a seamstress or a seamster. Mm-hmm. And then a dressmaker. And then a fashion designer. So what do they all do? <laughs> Why are you pointing at yourself? Oh, actually, you are. You are a fashion designer. Sorry. Not a fashion designer. I was like, Stop. I designed one thing. Which was fashion. Yeah. So, yeah. But... Um, if you didn't know already, Bianca has released a collaborative jean design with Fanfare. And they are beautiful. And you should get your own pair. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll see it on her Instagram. It's yeah. gorgeous. So the difference is, so let's start. Taylor, what do you think a tailor does? They take in your clothes. They make your clothes fit your body, if that makes sense. So Uh they will take up hems. They'll take in things. They'll put darts in. And they deal with the shape of the clothes for you. A seamster or seamstress? They're people that make the clothes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) They they, They take a design and can piece something together. Nice. Then from, we have, from a pattern, I should say. Okay, nice. Then we have dressmaker and fashion designer, which I think are a bit more obvious. Dressmaker makes dresses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fashion designer is the person who has the concept and they'll have the vision. They're the ones that are good at the drawing side of the ship. So, yeah, I think you're there. So tailors are, they work at altering clothes. Mm-hmm. So the whole concept of a tailor is to help you have clothes that fit you. Taylor is a neutral word in terms mm-hmm. of its gender because a while ago when we were thinking about episodes, we were like, what's the difference between a tailor and a seamstress? Are mm. they the same thing? Is a seamstress like the female version of a tailor? No, that's not okay. the case. So Taylor's neutral. So I that's actually, good to know, actually. Yeah, I wouldn't have... I, until doing this episode research, I genuinely thought tailors were men and seamstresses were women. And it was just like some old school misogyny. Gender specific, yeah. <laughs> but no, tailors can be all genders. Whereas seamstresses or dressmakers, they will make the clothes, like actually make them for you. So you'll mm-hmm. go to a seamster and be like, hey, I want this dress. In this shape. In this yeah, stuff. yeah, make it for me. And I think like, there are lots of people who are still very much using seamsters. I know so many people and I see it actually more in non-English culture. A lot of my like West African friends. and That's exactly what I was yeah, thinking about. And South Asian friends, when they've got weddings coming up, would go, go buy the fabric. Yeah. So my sister-in-law is mixed and she is English and Indian. And for 
her and my brother's wedding, we all wore Indian clothes on the Friday night when they had their Mendy kind of vibe. And it was so much fun. But we didn't go actually to go and buy our outfit for the wedding. And a lot of people would go and do that. We actually were just given people's clothes you know the sustainability and all that um, <laughs> yeah. I would have loved to have had something made for me because I would have chosen so a very different color for myself my sister-in-law did have hers made and she had a beautiful outfit made um, it deep red it was yeah. stunning traditional yeah, yeah. Uh, she looked incredible and that's just so I love that I normal. love it is this is it I love the fact that you said that because it is normal mm. in those cultures to have things made but not just the wedding dress but the guest would also go and get things made as well and west african culture they would also do the same i just know a lot of west african people that are, i'm sure across africa this is yeah common but like if you go to like an english wedding you're Buying just gonna go rack, babe. you're just going to coast <laughs> <laughs> that is so true you go you literally coast, or like monsoon coast monsoon and what's the other one that everybody buys from oh i've completely forgotten i can see the dresses in my head. ghost Ghost, that's Ghost, it. coast and monsoon. Let's get your bridesmaids' dresses. No shade there because they do some beautiful dresses. I love now that so many more contemporary brands are offering tailoring in store. Oh, obsessed with it. But so we've said this good. before. Like a lot of brands have always done it. Mm-hmm. A lot of men's brands specifically. Oh, yeah. Like my husband always gets his clothes tailored in store. Because you want it to fit your body right. You yeah. want to feel good in clothes. But I never do that. But, but I do. Do you but... not think that it's a marketing thing to women though? Because we're told to buy more clothes. Mm-hmm. So we don't alter them because it's just like a wear and done kind oh, of thing. If I scroll down on my notes, we're going to come to oh, that. Oh, girl, I'm excited. Oh, the two. <laughs> but no, I think you're totally right. And there's a couple of things I want to hone in on here. So that the idea that men, I th- personally think men shop less. I think Gen Z is a slightly different... Kettle of fish. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I know they are being targeted quite heavily with the likes of like ASOS and Boohoo and the fast fashion world. And that is a story. <laughs> in itself in itself but then if I think about I don't know if it's just the men that I know but I think about like my brothers and my husband and the men that I know they buy from spennier brands like more expensive yeah. brands so like my, my husband's a big fan of Diesel one of my brothers is a big fan of Prada like they buy from really high-end brands they spend their money they get their pieces tailored they are wearing them to death and then when they're done they're done and they move on but I just think it's really interesting how women are just so different. We buy, buy, buy. A lot of us sell, 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 which is nice. But I do have to alter a lot of my clothes because I've said, I've said this in previous episodes, I've got really short chest. So my yeah, shoulders. You've got a shorter body, haven't you? Yeah, I've got really long legs and a short body. That's so. For somebody who's five foot two, and I will always say this because I'm slightly vexed about my height, <laughs> I've got very long legs. Yeah, you've so, got lovely legs. <laughs> Thanks, babes. I think my mum said that at the wedding. She was like, oh, look at her legs. (laughs) I'll take that. Thanks. Thanks, babes. Do love my Leslie. (laughs) But yeah, I've got longer legs to a much shorter body. Yeah. But then I should have been five foot eight. I'm telling you. (laughs) Sorry, babes. So I know I always have to, I don't have to take up my trousers as much as you would think for somebody who's petite. So sometimes petite stuff actually doesn't fit me properly. Oh, interesting. Because it sits at a really funny part on my leg. See, this is the problem. So this is what I wanted to talk about. So, Standardisation of fashion. and We're not standard sizes. It's yeah. so bizarre to me that we are sold products 
to fit. Like, I'm a size six, but I'm not the same as, like, someone else who's a size six because I have to get my clothes altered every single time because my shoulders are too short. So I can't wear anything with a strap and I don't have very big boobs or hardly anything on my chest. So... I don't have anything to hold up a top. I get what you mean. Which is really frustrating. And also, don't get me started on that, because everything nowadays is built for women who have boobs, it feels. No, listen, as somebody with quite large boobs, everything is built for people without them. Okay. Most clothes... Maybe we're, things are built for pe- for people who without... There's with, a standardisation. Like, no there's a standard... There's a standard. Who, I want to know who she is. Who's um, that woman? I spoke to somebody years ago, back when I was doing styling... And there is a standard kind of model of a woman, depending on brands and the country that they're based. So in the UK, I think it's made for people who are quite in proportion in terms of their top half of their body and their, the bottom half of their body. Yeah. I think it's a C cup. I'm a C, C cup. A C or a D I'm might a D. be. It's, it might be a C <laughs> or a D, like a 34 C oh, or no. D. And... The measurement, it's just to do with the measurements around yeah. like the bust and stuff. And even then, if you change that measurement, it's still not necessarily right. So I will, like, if I check the measurements on clothing, I always check and I think to myself, oh, that should fit around my boobs. And then it's like I'm wearing a straight jacket. <laughs> but yeah, there is a standardization that they kind of use that is, there's a model, I should say, not standardization. There's a perfect bust size and fit for Ugh. like a mannequin or something like that. And that's what they use to create clothing. And it also depends on the cut. So mm. if you're buying something that's like a shift dress that goes straight up and down like a column, it's not going to have the same measurements as you would if you were buying something. It was an empire line or an A-line kind of dress. Oh, so long. But something that in my reading I came across is that the standardization or the standardized sizing accounts for a lot of waste. Really? Yeah. Because people buy products that don't fit them perfectly. And I actually, I vividly remember being with my friend where one day I was feeling really sad because I had this, always had body issue problems. But um, my problem is, and I realised this, (laughs) my biggest problem with my body is that clothes weren't fitting me how Mm. I needed them to fit. And I actually realised not long ago that I don't have necessarily a body issue it's a clothing it's issue. a cloth issue like yeah. i actually had to go to therapy to figure that out <laughs> and i always felt really like uncomfortable in how i looked mm. because things weren't fitting me properly and i just I was exactly always like oh you, you know i'm too small for this or too big for that and i just can't find the right size and da, da, da. And I realised it's because nothing ever bloody fit me. So I know when mean. I started like really honing in on tailoring, I've always had my nan to take my clothes in, but I've never utilised really it. it how I should. And in the last couple of years, I've really got like that woman has done the most with that <laughs> sewing machine. <laughs> There's been a sort of change in how people are shopping, whereas a lot of people I think that have grown up that are our age group, we're in our 30s now. And everybody shops, I've noticed, a little differently. And where you've got the influence of influencers and a lot of people promoting high-end or luxury fashion, people who want to, like the general public, who want to buy into that and buy into that image are learning that they have to alter their clothes. I mean, I've always been lucky that I've always kind of had to. Yeah. So it was like a second. <laughs> I've been lucky I've always had to. No, it's, it's never been like a secondary thought to me. Yeah. I've got a bunch of clothes that are sitting on my dresser at home now that I was supposed to drop to the dry cleaners on the way here to mm. get them tailored because they've got a tailor in my yeah, dry so cleaners. Mine. Yeah, and really it's well. I love the fact that people are looking at what they're buying and thinking, all right, this doesn't necessarily fit me like this right now. Yeah. But... 
two little things can make it better sticking in a dot here taking it in an inch there and it's making clothes fit your body in a much nicer way but I don't know if people are doing it with the lower end stuff and that's the waste yeah so I spoke to Emily from the restaurant a couple of episodes ago and we did mention the idea of clothing that aren't designed or pieces that aren't designer being restored and she said that they have lots of pieces that aren't designer that, that, that come in to be restored. So I'm sure tailors will have the same thing. I follow, I think we all do, Monique. I think she's also on the level of influencer's influencer. Yeah. And she always used to get things tailored because she's she's very petite. And there was one day that she like, she had a story about just her getting stuff tailored and like why she does it. And that she literally was like, my glass shattering moment. I was like, Oh, yeah. And that's when I was like, oh my God, my clothes don't fit me. And that's why I feel awful all the time. And I know it sounds so silly, but that year was also a year I had a really bad haircut for an entire year. <laughs> <laughs> so between a bad haircut and none of my clothes fitting me, <laughs> I was... <laughs> you. Oh, that's too funny. I had a really bad haircut. <laughs> I was really no, hating myself. All of that stuff. But I think, I know we, we can say that that's trivial. Or no, that it's but silly, it really affected my mental health. But so... And it's so affect- silly. And you, I didn't realise how those things attributed to how I was actually feeling. And it's, a lot of people will, might roll their eyes now, but there will be some of you that might be like, oh, yeah. But it exactly will resonate with people. Yeah. Because, listen, you're speaking to somebody who yo-yos in weight, like... I eat one biscuit and I put on like four pounds. Like, what is that about? Um, what is that about? And before anybody says anything, I don't have a thyroid issue. Um, but <laughs> biscuit it's a, issue. Yeah, a biscuit <laughs> issue. But it's a change in lifestyle for me. And I had mm. to I have to be very careful about what I eat, what I consume internally. <laughs> so that I don't then feel like crap in everything that I wear. Because oh, it's actually it's getting really deep. I know, it's horrible really. It's all good. It's all fine. We, no, we, yeah, it's exactly that. But it, it goes back to the thing about you want to feel good in your clothes. Mm. And you can't feel good in your clothes if they don't fit properly. And that goes across the board for different things. So I personally think that tailoring is a great way to kind of maintain that. And I think on that, alterations are such a big business right now yeah so i want to reflect back to josephine phillips who we had on the podcast two seasons ago yeah so josephine had just started sojo at that time so sojo is a alterations app you literally go online and you say what you want altered you put it on like an uber well it was it like described as the delivery for yeah delivery alterations. for alterations yeah. um so it's that if you haven't listened go back to few seasons ago she had just started now that was a year ago she has raised nearly two million pounds in preceding funding showing a lot of money in reparations yeah yeah. (laughs) but um there's so (laughs) that was a really good pun um (laughs) there's so much money so much money look at apps like the same which i've worked with the same and you access these local seamstresses or seamstresses in your area. And it's fantastic. I've had a lovely dress that I actually got from a campaign that mm-hmm. I did with Label Mix. Oh, and I had it taken up. Yeah, I had it taken up because it was too long and it sat on me in a really weird yeah. way. So I had it taken up and now I can actually wear the damn thing. Because I did. Amazing. I felt really awkward wearing Which it. Which dress was it? The Caroline Issa one. 
Oh my god! I had it taken up because it was beautiful. It just sat in a weird part of my ankle yeah. for me, and I was like, I kept looking at it, going, it "Doesn't look right with boots." That's interesting. Something yeah. just referenced there. Label Mix was a brand? a project, I yeah. guess. I don't know. It's just, no, like a project that Next did for four years, and we worked with them a few times. My agency worked with them as well, and they were essentially a collaboration. So they used to collaborate with like new gen designers or exciting young designers and create quote unquote affordable pieces so for example I have a Regina Pio coat Regina Pio coats start at like maybe 900 pounds but the collaboration that they had with Next I think the coat's like 350 pounds or something so you're still getting a Regina Pio piece but it's a collaboration piece and um, sort of how H&M do yeah, their design exactly. collaborations yeah. yeah it was actually very similar to that and um, they work with so many amazing brands but they no longer exist which is really sad and then they started working with buying in smaller brands and I was introduced to pretty much every Scandinavian brand under the sun from them which is like really cool oh you know I love a Scandi oh, brand oh I do oh. love a Scandi brand and yeah now they don't exist anymore I've had a few pieces from them that I've had altered as well I think it's because when you're buying clothing that you genuinely love mm. and you want to be able to keep it and wear it, it's worth putting in the time and the effort yeah, and spending a little bit extra because you don't want to see that just be a waste of money hanging in your wardrobe. 100%. Gone are the days where I used to think like Carrie Bradshaw and be like, I want to see my money hanging in my closet. Yeah, No, 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 I want it in my bank. Yeah. So when I'm in fact I need it in my, in my bank. bank. <laughs> so when I'm spending money on clothing, to me it's an investment and I want that investment to work for me. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in all of this. So yeah, I'm gonna shut up anyway. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just wanted to put that out there. So let's speak to a tailor, I think now. Oh because eighty percent of tailoring is done by hand. So Really? Yeah. So the carbon footprint's really low. It's a really like sustainable thing to do. Sometimes I'll take stuff to my nan and be like, I need you to do this. And she'll come back and say, oh, this took me a little bit longer because I had to hand sew it. Because how yeah. it's fit or whatever. I don't actually know anything she's talking <laughs> about. And I should and I need to learn. But she'll say, you know, this has to be hand done. I couldn't do this on the sewing machine. And even with the sewing machines, like a lot of them, you don't actually have to plug in. They're not like power yeah. driven. So like my nan has one that you plug in, but then she also has a foot pedal. A foot pedal one, yeah. yeah. It's funny because whenever we're talking about the sustainability side of things, I mean, obviously we're thinking about it as how it serves us and our lifestyle. Mm. But I completely forgot about the impact of the environment yeah. with seamstering, seamstring. It's fascinating to think that I didn't realise 80% of it's done by hand. Yeah. That's a staggering figure. Yeah, but it makes sense. Yeah, it do, it completely makes yeah, sense like when now. You think about it, but yeah. there's so many things that we just take as a given. Yeah. That something's done by a machine, not by a person. It's just, yeah. And this is something to think about. So when we're thinking about this season, we wanted to talk about the people, the makers, these people that are doing things by hand. It's a practice that literally existed from the beginning of time. People had to make clothes to wear. The cavemen, were, they had to make clothes in some way, I'm sure. They weren't wearing their manual hides for no reason. Yeah, they were exactly. flinging those over base. <laughs> Someone had to sew them and do all that. <laughs> Tie that stuff together yeah. with a bone. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking of the Flintstones now, yeah. aren't we? But then now it's still, well... I'm thinking more like Bridgerton times, okay. but um, it's now still a job that hasn't changed too much. But one thing on that, before we do go into this interview, I think there's a very different view on whether it's a skilled or unskilled job. And to me, being any anybody Ooh. who can make anything, that is skilled. But people don't see it as a skilled role necessarily. Yeah, do you know what's they, interesting? Right. 
love this. I actually really wanted to talk about this and I forgot. When we think about certain words, so when I asked you about like, what does a tailor do? What does a seems to do? What do when you think about things like a tailor, mm-hmm. do you not automatically think expensive? So I don't know if this is how your brain works, but people generally don't get things tailored and altered because it's like a cost. Yeah. But then they also wouldn't think about getting like a high street product tailored or altered because they're like, oh, that was something you would do with like a designer piece. It's because it's normally going to work out to be pound for pound, isn't it? In terms of what you're spending to alter it. Yeah. It can be pricey. Can be. Yeah. Um, Sometimes sometimes it's not. but Sometimes sometimes it's literally a couple of quid. It's actually really interesting. But well, free it, if you go to my nan's house. <laughs> <laughs> but people just, they see it as a cost. And if you're spending 40 or 50 quid on some one night party dress yeah. and you've got to spend 20 pounds to alter it, you're not really going to want to do that. You'd end up... I totally would and I have done. Yeah, that's how we both think. Yeah. And to me, I think like being able to do, being able to alter anything is a skill I do not possess. I want to buy myself the Wool and the Gang kit. Ugh. And make like a massive blanket. I would love to do that, but I just don't, also don't have the patience. I don't have the time. I don't have the patience. But I think I'm deciding I'm going to take Christmas off this year. I'm going to take three weeks off. Ooh. And I'm going to do some things for Bianca. And that will be one of them. Get it, girl. Anyway, I'm thinking money. So you think you're going to get your suit tailored. You know, it's mm. a suit. There's money there. But Taylor has like a fancy ring to it right mm-hmm. and then you think of a fashion designer you know it's got a fancy ring to it and then you think of like oh a seamstress or a seamster actually seamstress I feel like this is a misogyny thing but seamstress it sounds like it gives me the image of garment workers yeah but the these people make clothes the fashion designer wrote a, something down on a piece of paper and Obviously, these are the people with the skill it's to make important. it important fashion designers are amazing and I'm not Say anything. Yeah, we're not discrediting yeah, or because what they do. But we know a lot that are incredible. But someone's got to make that product. And a very skilled worker makes that. And it just annoys me because like a tailor, they've just got like a bit of a fancier rep than someone who's like full on making. Yeah, totally agree with you. It's very frustrating. And I think it does come down to, as you said, misogyny. But it's also years and years like generational. Oh, yeah. It's a generational sort of. Uh, it's been ingrained in us to think that yeah. those things are the. You get where I'm coming from. Yeah, because, no, yeah, 100%. But anyway, let's move on to this conversation with the tailor, otherwise, this episode is going to be super long. Yeah, I'm really excited to just hear more about what it's like to I'm, be a tailor. I'm interested in this because I want to understand from somebody who does the job their point of view of how sustainable it yeah. really is. So, yeah. Let's do this. Today we have Byron Austin on the podcast, who is a Savile Row tailor, which is very exciting. So Byron, would you like to introduce yourself and what you do? Yes, well, like you said, my name's Byron. I'm a tailor on uh, Savile Row, well-renowned street, Mm -hmm. um, worldwide. You know, Savile Row is the place where everyone wants to go and get a suit made. Mm. if they can afford it it's pretty expensive I've been a tailor now for over 30 years wow so it's been a long time it is rewarding really is rewarding to know that you can either alter or make a suit uh, for a customer who actually 
loves it and keeps it for many, many years. Yeah, the sense of craftsmanship in the making of suits is incredible. When I saw my husband had a suit made for our wedding. Yeah. And the detail that goes into it, I Mm. was actually taken aback. Yeah, we've had customers who've had Savaro's suits made. We had one customer, I think two months ago, came in who had his suit made in 1948. Oh, wow. And he brought it back in and he wanted us to uh, pull it apart, recut it and make it for his grandson. Oh, my goodness. That's incredible. The same suit, yeah. So it's those types of customers who keep their suits. When I say years, I'm not talking two, three years. Like I said, we've had customers come in who's had suits made in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, and and has kept it. Wow, that's sustainability right there. Yeah, 100%. That's mind-blowing. Yeah. So how did you get into tailoring? How did your career start? Yes. (laughs) It's kind of weird, really, to be totally honest. I worked for John Lewis uh, Partnership. I wasn't getting on there, to be honest. And a friend of mine who uh, actually said to me, have you ever considered tailoring? And I said to him, no. And he said, well, why don't you pop along and just have an apprenticeship? Mm. Um, And I said, but won't I need an interview? And he said, yeah, yeah, come in, get an interview and you'll be all right. So I went in and the interview went like this. I went to the guy who I was supposed to work for. He said, okay, what's your name? And I said, Byron. And he said, have you ever held a thimble before, which is a thimble that you hold on this finger that helps you uh, pull through the needle? So I said, no, I've never even thought about tailoring. And he said, okay, then go down and see the director. Went downstairs, saw the director, and he said, okay, what's your name? And I said, Byron Austin. And he said, okay, you start on Monday. (laughs) And that was my interview. Wow. (laughs) Over 30 years ago. And I know interviews don't go like this now, but Hmm. when I went there, it was in the tailoring shop itself. It's okay with the pressing machine, machinery, Hmm. and you've got your board you've got your equipment but in the shop itself is so intimidating because the directors the cutters are there they they are the ones that see the customers yeah and it's kind of intimidating it looks posh and when I went down there for a so-called interview and he said you got the job and you know you start on Monday I thought wow and then when you actually start the job Like my boss said to me in the first week on Savile Row, you cannot afford to make a mistake. Mm. Customers aren't expecting them to come in and for you to make a mistake. And it terrified the life out of me. It really did. You, You can imagine because these types of customers we're dealing with are multimillionaires, you know, and they're not expecting to see anything wrong with their suits you've been doing this for 30 years now so I imagine that has definitely impacted how you do things in your day-to-day life because I imagine you have a really high standard for everything now 
A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, even though I have been doing it for so long, I still even now get nervous on certain customers. Really? That, that I do. I mean, I'm not name dropping here, but this is just an example. We do now for King Charles. Mm. But obviously, back in the day, he was Prince Charles. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, I never sort of got nervous, like if I had to do an alteration on his trousers. I never got nervous about doing it. But all of a sudden, when that ticket is changed and it's got king trousers, (laughs) I've only done it last week, a pair of trousers that I had to alter. And my boss said, yeah, it's needed for tomorrow morning. Do you think you can do it? And I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. But all of a sudden, I got nervous. I thought, this is our king. (laughs) <laughs> and actually doing his trousers is crazy. Some of the customers come in with their own material. You cannot mess around with their own material because if you make a scorch, a burn mark, well, that's it. It's their own material. They're paying thousands of pounds for the suits. So I get what my boss means. You can't afford to make mistakes. But at the same time, everyone makes mistakes. You just got to know how to fix that mistake. I think I do know how to fix many mistakes. (laughs) So let's talk about time now. So you've been in the industry for 30 years. Have you seen a change in the industry? Yes, I have. The main change, uh, when we first started, I mean, at my firm, we had the first tailoress black woman on Savile Row working at our place. We have many women now. I can remember my colleague who got me the job, who's who's a black guy, asked one of the directors, this was about 29 years ago, he said to him, why isn't there any black faces in the front shop? Mm. We're downstairs, we're the tailors, you employ tailors, you know, to work on the garments, but why isn't there any at the front shop and this director was so honest even though it shocked us he said look I'm going to be totally honest with you the other directors might not say this but I'm going to be honest with you no customer of the types of customers that we're dealing with is expecting to come into the front shop and see a black face Mm. and that just totally blew our minds and my colleague said so if I wanted to stop the tailoring and go in to the front shop you wouldn't allow me to do that and he said unfortunately we wouldn't so it, it kind of mashed us in a sense that boy I mean this is just crazy but now I can honestly say we have Two black faces up in the front shop. Oh, wow. Uh, There was one who's left, who's become a photographer, but he was actually dealing with customers. He had his own customers as well, cutting, measuring up. Uh, We've got two shops on Savile Row that are black-owned. I don't know. You might even have heard of him, a guy called Oswald Botang. Yeah, just a small, just a small tailor called Right, right, right. He's a Ghanaian and he's had it many years now, but he's actually on Savile Row. 
Yeah. Sometimes you see him walking down Savaro. Sometimes the guy walks down Savaro like, why? I own Savaro. <laughs> I own it. You know, and it's just good to see because there's not only many black faces now, even at the front shop, mm. on many of the Savaro shops, but there are plenty of women who are now on the, not only on the front shop, we've actually, a couple of years ago, there was a woman's tailoring shop that specifically for women mm. on Savaro now, which is really amazing. So it's specifically for women. I mean, you mentioned about your shoulders and everything like that. If you've got the money, that's a perfect shop for you to go into. Yeah, I can go to my nan though. So, but, oh right, so your nan still? <laughs> yeah, she still nan. begrudgingly she still does a lot of my tailoring for me. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> those are the changes that we've mainly seen, and, and it's been positive. Yeah, that's really good. Interestingly, when I was doing my research on this episode, when I typed in the word tailor, I was really interested in understanding if tailor was a masculine or feminine word. Because when I think about tailors, I've only ever seen men and then women attend to be dressmakers or seamstresses. But when I Googled it, there was no article or no one in like forums that said tailors were specifically men. So it's really nice to actually hear what I had thought to yeah. be true. True. Yeah. So yeah, that it was a very male dominated industry and now women are coming in. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard you well, you must have heard of him, unfortunately, years ago he committed suicide. But Alexandra McQueen. Yeah. Yeah, he started at our place. Oh uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well he started about two years after I started. Oh, wow. You know, so we do have a lot of young people coming into the industry, not necessarily wanting to do tailoring, mm. wanting to do fashion, but wanting to come into tailoring to see how a garment is made up. Yeah. And to have experience of that and then go into the fashion industry. We have a lot of people like that, but we tend, once they do say, yeah, well, we're interested in fashion, Usually, you won't get a tailor shop employment. Interesting. Because we, because you know, know yeah. Eventually, they don't want to end up as a tailor. They basically want the experience and then move on. Yeah, so it would be a waste of time to have yeah. someone. Because I imagine it takes a lot to train someone up. It does. It takes at least four years, five years properly. Oh wow! Um, and it's hard, but it's rewarding at the end of it. Do you see a specific age demographic getting pieces tailored more than others? So obviously you work in Savile Row, so the price point is a lot higher than other tailors out there or smaller shops. But is there a certain age group that's coming to you or is it everyone? I would say probably 30 upwards. Okay. That's quite young still. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think... and especially our shop in particular, what made us even more prominent, especially to the 30 age group, is the fact that Alexandra McQueen used mm. to work for us. And uh, that's where he started. Yeah. You know? And uh, I think a lot of people, the BBC even came in asking us questions about Alexandra McQueen. So we had a lot of like late 20s, 30s coming in. 
yeah one in suits you know made and Alexandra McQueen worked here didn't he you oh, know nice. that kind of attitude but you know obviously they have to have money because our cheapest suit is about five and a half grand so wow. yeah so obviously they have to have money to come into the shop but we have people up to 80 90 years old coming in to be measured up for a suit because the thing is what and I remember my boss saying this to me that when we make up a suit it has to fit like your skin Mm. will literally improve the way you look because when we make up a suit you know customers have literally come in and say they want the sleeve shortened one eighth of an inch. I don't know if you know what one eighth of an inch <laughs> is, but you can hardly see it. Oh wow. And that's how precise they want things, you know. So it literally fits like your skin. So we have people coming in from the age in late 20s, 30s, up to the ages of 90, wanting to make a suit. Uh, I remember doing a private suit for this guy who was getting married and he he said to me this was on his wish and he's literally ticked it off now and the experience he said he doesn't think he's ever had a better experience with coming into the shop with being measured up everything it it was a wonderful experience and he was what 26 oh wow so thinking about sustainability obviously with the topic of the of the uh podcast Something about tailoring that I found really interesting is that because it's everything's done by hand, well, 80% of it's done by hand. Yeah. It's an inherently sustainable practice because you don't actually have to use too much and your your carbon footprint's really low because you're not using machinery, et cetera. But what kind of materials do you use on a daily basis? I'm just trying to understand, especially because your price point's quite high as well. Is sustainability a factor on that side? That's a good question. I don't really know if that's their first thought. Mm. Because we, we have various materials, all sorts of materials from silk, mohair, herringbone. We've got all sorts of materials and it just comes down to what the customer wants. Yeah. As For them to think anything other than that, I don't think they're thinking that because when I first came into the industry and I saw the amount of material that was just on the floor, the tailors cut this and then chuck it on the floor. And I'm thinking, wow, what is going on here? All this material, what are we doing with it? And it's like the cleaners will come in, sweep up. And I'm thinking, This is just amazing. But then I realized a lot of the material that is chucked on the floor, a lot of it is bagged up Mm. for alteration tailors because with jackets, with trousers and things like that, we can use these materials again to either piece, lengthen. We can put in a lot of invisible Uh, I don't know if you understand this, but a lot of invisible menders use these materials. Say like there's a tear in a trousers. Oh, yeah. You can use these material and these invisible menders, they're incredible. It would be, it would look like there hasn't been a tear in there at all. 
They can use it with a check, with a line, you know, line job. It, it's just amazing. So a lot of the material that I thought was wasted isn't wasted because mm. a lot of it is bagged up and used again for any various alterations. So, I mean, we do use different, different materials, obviously, and a lot of customers come in with their own materials. Oh, interesting. I'm not sure where they've got it from, but it looks expensive. <laughs> it looks very expensive. But I imagine you use more natural fibres, cottons and silk rather than like nylon. and. Yeah, we, we definitely do, but it does come down to the customer. Yeah because we can advise them but nine times out of ten they tend to know what they want yeah so you flicking through those pattern books and showing them this material that material no no not that no no not that yeah that one so they tend to know as soon as they come in mm, got an idea yeah well I guess if you're spending you know a good amount on something that's going to last you for a lifetime mm would have done your research on it 100 percent. brilliant well thank you so much byron this was no so problem. great i've learned a lot about an industry that i've been very interested in so this was very helpful okay so let's again. do the sustainably so Tailor, well, this is a tough one because we've talked about different things, but let's just do tailoring. Yeah. How sustainable on a scale of one to ten do we think tailoring is? After some of the facts that you've told me. Yeah. After listening to that interview, I would probably say I really didn't realise how much A goes into it, mm. B, how much you're saving. Yeah. In terms of like wastage and things like that. So I would probably give it a big fat eight because I think it's very, very low emissions and you're stopping clothes going into landfill, which mm. is the big tick for me. And you're utilising what you have and you're ensuring that your clothing is built to last. And I think a lot of people are buying, from what I'm understanding mm. from this episode, people are probably buying better pieces and tailoring them. Yeah. And I think if you are somebody that leans into that, yeah. then, yeah, I'm going to give you a big fat eight. Interesting. Well, I was going to give it a nine. Do you know what? I actually want to give it a ten. I'm going to give it, can't it a... can't be our first... Is it no, our first ten of the season? I don't think it's... Oh, I don't think it's the first ten. Yeah, I want to give it a ten, but let's give it a nine. Say what you Simply want, Simply because I think as long as you're sourcing your threads and mm -hmm. the, the things you're using to tailor from a considered place, there's literally nothing that's going to... Yeah. cost you in terms of a negative impact but at the same time we could also say that having good clothes may want you to shop more so we'll just dock it down a one because you'll be like oh i can just get this tailored and this tailored and this tailored and then yeah. you have a perfect there is that overconsumption yeah. kind of yeah but that's not that's literally nothing to do with tailoring yeah but. i think that's more the person isn't it but i would say for me i think my big thing my takeaway is that if anything that is encouraging me as a consumer to look after my clothes for longer and to really protect them, mm. I'm a happy bunny. <laughs> I'm a happy bunny. That's it. So, yeah. Wicked. Wow. 
Well, next week is the last episode of this season. So make sure that you are subscribed and all that jazz. Mm. And tune in next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Sustainably Influenced is hosted by Charlotte Williams and me, Bianca Foley. This season was produced by Content is Queen, sound edited by Amber Miller. And a big thanks to our researcher, Anna Stoney. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.